continue our daily Bible reading uh, on this Wednesday morning. Uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 44. I'm glad we're getting a chance to read a block of Isaiah here because we get to see the, the fervor of Isaiah, the, the passion of God for his people, the reality of what's going on in the world, um, our stubbornness, our, our uh, unfaithfulness to God, our how we build our, build our own idols, but yet the, the steadfast love of the Lord. You know, we talk about love a lot in the New Testament. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16. Uh, 1 John, uh, you know, 4, we love God because he first loved us. Well, the Old Testament's about love too. This is the kind of love for God. And the Old Testament word for God, for God just continues to emphasize love in being faithful. It's easy to love someone that loves you back. It's easy to love for a short amount of time. It's easy to love when things are going well, but to continue in that love, to be persistent in that love, is the kind of love we call from one another when it, when it comes to getting married. That's why we pledge to each other. I will love you until death parts us. I will uh, will be committed to you. It's the same kind of, you know, love that God calls us to as parents. I think about it, you know, when their little babies were so in love with them, but then we start to realize the reality of, of parenting, things like children are going to rebel, and they will, and and that it's going to take a lot of hard work and sleepless nights and all of that. But what is our love if it isn't persistent, if it doesn't last, if it doesn't stick around always, and there's nothing that, that will change it? That's what truly love is. It's not just an emotion. It's not a surface thing. It's not a short-term thing. It's not an easy thing. Love hurts. Love is a challenge, and yet that's the kind of love that God has for us. Think of Jesus hanging on the cross, saying things of love like, Father, forgive them, or, or son, here's your mother, mother, here's your son, or today, to the thief on the cross, to a thief on the cross, today be with me in paradise. That, my friends, is love, and it's love because Jesus is hanging on that cross, suffering the pain and death of hell for us in order that he might buy forgiveness for us. That, my friends, is really love. And we see that love here in chapter 44. Sorry about that long introduction, because here's another but now here. Now, remember where we left off in chapter 43? Um, God says, you, in, 20, in verse 27, he says, your, your first father sinned. He's talking about Adam. And you've been sinning ever since then. And uh, you've transgressed against me, God says. And so God, therefore, is going to reject your worship. Uh, that he's talking about the princes of the sanctuary, the priests of the sanctuary who stopped doing their job and weren't really doing it the right way. And he's going to deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Now, remember during the time of, of Isaiah, that's when... Um, when the tribes are taken into exile by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians, God says, I'm going to let that happen uh, because I cannot tolerate that, that sin. And you're turning away from me. You won't let me be your Redeemer and your Savior. But, but God does not abandon his people. Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that we would never be abandoned. Think of him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken on our behalf. And here's the God who just keeps coming back to him. There's, here's why we call Isaiah the fifth gospel, because after saying that God is going to allow them to be destroyed and be reviled, he's not going to give up on them. But now here, um, o, o Jacob, my servant, here's that wonderful gospel, but here's the reality of God's people rejecting him, but the but is always there, but God is not going to reject them. And he says, Israel, whom I have chosen. Now, think of that word chosen. And when you see that word chosen in Scripture, think of the word grace. 
It's not our good life. It's not the great things we've done. It's not because we're such great people uh, that God loves us and forgives us. We cannot, think of the New Testament, we cannot earn the grace of God. It's a gift of God. God has chosen to love us. And, and there's no more beautiful picture of the grace of God. And how's he going to do it? Um, he's going to do it because um, he's he's our God who has uh, who has chosen us. So so wonderful grace words there. Look at the words in verse three. Then I will pour water on the thirsty land. Think of things like this. Think of our baptism, how we're brought into the covenant through our baptism. Think about how Jesus said, I am the living water that when you take of me, you won't thirst anymore. Think of what water means in the desert, how it brings life, and, and it's known for that. And then notice how he says, too, along with that in verse 3, I will pour out my spirit. That's a uh, Jesus quote said in the New Testament um, where he says God's going to pour out his spirit, and he does in our baptism. Um, remember Paul saying, or Peter saying about baptism in, in Acts chapter 2, where he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There it is, fulfillment of that, uh, of that prophecy. But then turn around then, uh, look at verse 6, and God reminds us of who he is. He says, I am the Lord, your Lord, your master, your king, the king of kings and lord of lords, the king of Israel. In other words, he chose Israel to bring his son into the world through a family, through a human family to be our savior. He is our redeemer. He buys us back. He's the ransom for us to get us back from sin and death and the devil. And he is the Lord of hosts, host of army. He is all powerful um, none greater like him. And look at verse 7, the wonderful rhetorical questions. Who is like him? The obvious answer, nobody. And and so what do we need to do? Verse 8 uses that word witness. He says, you are my witnesses. Now, in this way, what he means, he brings it up also in chapter 43, verse 10. He says, you are my witnesses. And what he means is, look around. Look around and see what I've done. He's going to contrast that to the idols he's going to talk about in a little bit uh, in uh, beginning at verse 9. But when we look around and see the things of God, that's why we do a church here. That's why we celebrate Christmas every year. Look and see what God did for you. That's why I remember Good Friday every year. Look at what Jesus was willing to do for you. That's why we remember um, uh, Easter Sunday every year. We need to witness that again and again. Put that before our eyes. That's why it's so darn important that you are in the Word right now, because you are witnessing the grace and mercy and love of God from Scripture. You're also witnessing how God does not tolerate sin, how He does not um, uh, um, He does not leave us unwarned. He warns us again and again and again. Witness that. Now, contrast that to the idols. The idols are fashioned, look at verse 9 onward, the idols are fashioned out of nothing, and they give no delight or no profit. Witness that. Look and see now an idol, remember, is anything or anyone that we put our hope and our faith and our trust in. Whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is your God. Now think about that. When Luther wrote the explanation of the first commandment, he said we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But the trouble is, we fear, love, and trust other things in our life. Um, and we need to get back to God, to the true God, because, because any false gods cannot do anything for us. They're going to leave us wanting in the end, and they're going to leave us high and dry. Why does this happen? Verse 18, he says, They do not know, nor do they discern. 
For God has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so they cannot understand. So again, that thing about God being totally in charge, what he's saying there, like Pharaoh, who continued to harden his heart to God again and again and again. He did not witness what God was doing, and God finally uh, hardens his heart in the end. Um, so that's what happens. We stop seeing things for what they truly are. We stop hearing the truth of God's word, and we start believing other truths that aren't truths at all. They're a lie in the end. They can't help us at all. So what do we need to do? The chapter ends with a powerful word in verse 21, remember. Remember the things of God. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus called the Holy Spirit the one, he said, the one who would remind you, help you to remember everything I have said. Holy Spirit inspired the word of God, so we would have it there to remind us about that always, and that's what we need to do. And so God is speaking to his people in a time where it's a terrible time in their history, and because of their sin, they've been uh, they've been led away into captivity, and it looks all bad. But God, in verse 28, already predicts what's going to happen. He's going to bring Cyrus, the king of the next nation who will conquer the Babylonians, and, and in that, um, Israel will be able to go back to their promised land. So here's what we learn. Even in the midst of our problems, when we can't see a way out of it, God already knows the way out of it. He's calling us to repent. He's calling us to trust in him, to have faith in him. When we reach the end of ourselves, we remember our strength comes from him. So God bless you as you keep in his word.